Hello, hello. So we are, we're back in business. Hello to all those joining online. It's uh, lovely to see you all this morning. Um, I want you to picture a moment with me. Picture this scene, okay? So I'm 15 years old, I'm at school, and I'm just walking out of a brutal double physics. When all of a sudden, something beautiful and unexpected happened. Uh, I was walking a bunch of us to our next class about five to ten minutes. Lots of other classes were exiting their classrooms. And you know when you, a group of people, you sort of merge together like traffic. And fate would have it that at this moment, I was walking side by side with a school hottie. Not only that, but for the next five to ten minutes, I was on fire. Every story I said was going down brilliantly. She was laughing. I could see my friends looking across thinking, how on earth is this happening? And life just felt wonderful. I realized that we were nearing my next class, so I thought I'd ramp it up to my finale. It was, it was an extravaganza of an anecdote, and I was just crescendoing towards my punchline, when all of a sudden, the hot girl interrupted to say, Steve, what's that on your head? Slightly, you know, it felt like I had the wind taken out of my sails. I paused my story, put my hand to my head, and felt something that did not feel good. At that moment, a bird in the sky must have decided that this would just be the perfect opportunity to take aim and fire and had defecated all over my head. Now, I need to stress that this was not the work of any ordinary bird, but this was the work of a very big and a very ill bird. <laughs> my head and my hands were covered. The moment was gone. I did the only right and honorable thing, which was to uh, cry off to the toilets and try and wash it off. And from that moment on, me and the hot girl decided that we'd be friends and see other people. And really what that meant is she dated someone three years older than me, and I was single until the age of 23. <laughs> Tough to take. I wonder if for any of you guys, when you think about the last 12 to 18 months, whether this slightly odd image resonates at all. Some of you, you might have been walking along fairly confidently in life. You knew where you were going. You felt in control of your destiny. Some of you might have even been walking with a bit of a swagger. And then all of a sudden, the giant bird in the sky by the name of COVID-19 decides to decanter on top of your head, and life is seismically changed. Many of us went from a place of relative comfort to being in crisis. I know many of you uh, have been physically affected over the last uh, season, whether that's through long COVID or loved ones have been affected by the disease. Some of you have been hit financially. You might have lost businesses, lost jobs, or been furloughed. I know some have been so uh, weighed down and exhausted by some of the uh, racial tensions that have been stirred and brought up over the last 12 months. Others will just feel emotionally at breaking point. You might be battling anxiety with the uncertainty that you've been facing, and you might be suffering with depression or other mental illnesses. And some of you might be feeling spiritually on the edge. I feel like over the last six months, I've had so many conversations with friends, once who are so strong in the faith and are now questioning everything. 
What else do you do when every rhythm, ritual, system you had in place gets dismantled? We've been hit uh, personally, we've been hit globally, and we've also been hit as a, a community. And I've got two videos that I just want to show the contrast of what we've been living through. So hopefully they come up on the screen. And the first is from the KXC 10-year anniversary. And if we play this one... I mean, very, very poor social distancing. Uh, but you can see that there's fire in the room, there's excitement, it feels like the spirit is at work. This is uh, sort of February 2020, about a month before the first lockdown. And it just feels like there is momentum. And then a few weeks later, this is what church looks like. <laughs> this is Father Pedro doing his sermon for online, uh, online church. And I just, I just need to stress this moment here. Um, I had to beg Pete not to do this video in his Speedos. I see it as my gift to you that he's wearing these rather ropey salmon-colored shorts. But seriously, for KXC, there was excitement, there was momentum, there was growth, the spirit was at work. And then all of a sudden, it's church online in your Speedos. The promise is reduced to dust. This has been the wilderness, a brutal terrain where very little grows and where it feels difficult. Two of my favorite writers articulate this wilderness beautifully. And the first is T.S. Eliot in his epic poem, The Wasteland. And in this, he depicts a landscape which is uh, built on a heap of broken images. It is a place where the sun beats and the dead tree gives no shelter. A place where people are neither living nor dead. And within this context, he asks this incredibly poignant question. He says, what, could, what branches could grow from this stony rubbish? In other words, what good could ever come from this. Uh, another artist that I love, Frank Ocean, he writes about a different kind of wilderness. This is the wilderness that is brought on through drug addiction. And on his monumental debut record, Channel Orange, he uh, writes these lyrics, which says, you don't know how little you matter until you're on the floor in a drug den in Arkansas. You don't know how little you matter until you have lost everything. This has been the wilderness. And in the wilderness, we, we get challenged in two areas about our identity and our purpose. These questions, do I matter and what good can ever come from this? And this morning, I just want to say that if you feel like this is you, if you feel like you've been in a season uh, of despair, if you feel like you are limping in a desert land, if you feel like a depression has covered you, if you feel like disappointment, failure, or anxiety is covering you right now, then you need to know that God is with you right now. And also this morning, we're going to be learning from Jesus who walked through the wilderness himself. And we're going to be learning a few lessons from him. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be reading from Luke 4. Hopefully uh, the words will appear on the screen. 
I'm just going to read this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And what's interesting to know about uh, this scene that happens, that this happens directly after Jesus' baptism anointing at the end of Luke 3. And this is the moment where uh, the Holy Spirit deforms like a dove and the voice of the Father speaks over his son. This is my son whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. A moment of such incredible public affirmation, a high point. And then we read that Jesus is immediately led into the wilderness. In Mark's gospel, he uses a much stronger term than Luke, than just being peacefully led. Mark writes that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. The term that Mark uses in the original Greek uh, is a word called ekbalin, and it's got a much more violent propulsion than being simply led. So what we understand here for Jesus is that the big bird in the sky that he is dealing with is not an overweight pigeon with an upset tummy like it was for me, but rather a beautiful, holy dove capable of delivering words of such love and intimacy, yet equally capable of hurling Jesus into the wilderness. And we need to understand that if Jesus can find himself in the desert, through no fault of his own, then so can we. Sometimes we can be the architects of our own ruin, but often we are led, perhaps even driven, into the wilderness where we will be tested. The wilderness is a battleground designed to strip us. And one thing that we also read from the the text here is that often when we encounter these seasons, we won't be alone. Uh, if you read about the wilderness uh, throughout uh, the, the Psalms or in the prophets, Isaiah and other places, the word cups, crops up. And there's often another term that joins with it. You read that uh, the wilderness is a place where the jackals go or where the jackals lie in waiting. And this word jackals uh, in the original King James version of the Bible was literally translated to be dragon. So we need to understand that when we go through these wilderness seasons, we go face to face against a monster of darkness. And for Jesus, when he walked through the wilderness, we read that he went through three temptations. 
and they are the battle of comfort, the battle of kingdoms, and the battle of identity. So if we kick off with the battle of comfort. In the wilderness, life is hard. It is slow. And uh, often God has two mechanisms in the wilderness to shape and sculpt us. And they are waiting and suffering. And for some of you who've been through waiting seasons, you'll know that there are often two areas of acute pain. First of all, the pain of not seeing what you would love to see happen uh, quick enough, not seeing the progress that you desire. And secondly, the pain of watching everyone you know, loved ones, friends, family, acquaintances, uh, skip through life whilst you lie motionless. It's the pain of seeing uh, others go through uh, job promotions, marriages, kids, breakthrough in careers, while for you, life is static. And it's in these moments where we will hear the devil in our ear turn these stones into bread. It is the temptation to push for the easy pathway, to drive for the shortcut, It's the temptation to compromise all upon the altar of comfort. And if we look at Jesus in this moment, Jesus does not give in to that. Rather, he rejects the premise that comfort is everything. And for us, our temptation is unlikely to involve stones and bread. That might be a little weird, but it's probably going to involve things that are close to us whether that's uh, our relationships, uh, our, our careers, our attitudes towards money, how we spend our time. A while ago, I was, um, a couple of years, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he was frustrated that he felt his career wasn't going forward as, as quickly as he'd like. He'd uh, sadly missed out on a, a job promotion. And he told me that he had made a pact within himself that from this point on, he would do whatever it takes uh, to get the next job promotion, that he would do whatever it takes to further his career. And he said, look, I don't care if I have to compromise myself morally or ethically, I will do what it takes to get there. And a couple of years on, uh, his career is actually going pretty well, but he's lost his faith and he is disconnected from a number of friendships. And for us in this moment, where life feels so uncertain, where we feel like we have, the, have had the rug taken from below us, our biggest temptation will be to seize control and to try and make something happen for ourselves. But again, if we look at the example of Jesus, Jesus doesn't turn inwards to manic productivity Jesus doesn't reject the bread just thinking that, oh, I can whip up some supernatural croissants. (laughs) Rather, he rejects that comfort is everything. And instead, he pushes into God's presence. He doesn't run from the problem. Rather, he turns to the source. And what we learn from Jesus here is that God's presence is greater than than our productivity. God's presence is greater than our productivity. And for us in this moment, if you are tempted to go inwards and try and rescue yourself in this moment, I just urge you, press in 
to God's presence. So we go from the battle of comfort to the battle of kingdoms. And this is one of our greatest challenges today. It is the desire to build our brand, to build a name. And the big battle uh, surrounding this is really the question of who are we prepared to bow the knee to? If we look for Jesus in verse 7, listen to how seductive this is. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And what's interesting here is that Jesus at his baptism was given the keys to an eternal kingdom. He was the son of God. And here he finds himself tempted by an earthly kingdom all to himself, not shared. It is the devil in his ear. But what Jesus decides to do is he rejects any authority or splendor that could be given to him on earth. And instead dies on a cross, nailed, undignified, to build an eternal kingdom. A kingdom that would not age or decay. And in this moment, Jesus was able to reject what was instant for something that was permanent. Why? And it's because he learned to love the giver and not the gift. He loved the giver and not the gift. And for us in this moment, where I'm sure we've got all sorts of prayers and desires that we'd love to see, obviously we want to bring them to God, but we need to keep falling in love with the giver and not the gift. And finally, the battle of identity. Again, Jesus, after ha having his um, identity publicly affirmed at baptism, he now Here's the devil gnaw away at what was freely given. Listen to verse 9. If you are the son of God. If, if, if. How familiar does that voice sound to you? If you're worth something. Dot, dot, dot. If God really loved you, this would happen. If, if, if. And what was freely given at baptism, the devil now gnaws away. And we live in an age where there is a constant raging battle over our identity. Every argument, uh, every discussion point at the moment hinges upon your identity. And the big danger for us, the big battle, if we don't get on the right side of this discussion, is that we will be tempted to take what God has given for our destiny and use it for our idolatry. And if we look in the Bible, we see examples of this. If you look at the life of Moses, Moses, uh, his name means drawn from water. It was written into his identity that he would be plucked out, marked out. And then later in his life, in the wilderness, uh, God singled him out to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. But in the early to middle part of his life, uh, Moses didn't fully understand or comprehend the gifts of leadership that God had given him. And he didn't recognize the significance of the platform that God had placed him in until he spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus understood and recognized that he was loved. He was the son of God. 
He didn't need to do any wild stunts to prove himself or to be any more loved. Rather, he trusted in the words spoken over him. And what we learn from Jesus is that there is power in God's promises. There is power in God's promises. And for us, we need to receive that we are loved. There is nothing that we need to prove ourselves more with. But there is power in what God speaks over us. And often, it might take longer than we uh, would like. God doesn't always use uh, or work in our timings. But there is power. A friend of mine has this phrase where he says, um, do not trust, sorry, do not um, uh, what did he say? So he says, do not uh, listen in the darkness to what you've seen in the light. For there is power in God's promises. But why must we go through the wilderness? When you're in pain, the most obvious question is why, right? Why did that job not come through? Why, why did that relationship not work? And I don't want to uh, dilute the, the pain of a moment. But I do want to suggest a couple of things that I think God might be doing in us at this time. And the first relates to power. If we look at Luke 4, we read that uh, Jesus went into the wilderness full of the Spirit. But in verse 14, we read that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was this power which uh, was foundational to Jesus' ministry. It was the starting point from everything kicking off for Jesus in the next few years. Soren Kierkegaard writes, God creates everything out of nothing, and everything which God is to use, he first reduces to nothing. The wilderness that seems so harsh, so brutal, is actually often an incredible example of God's kindness. For as we are stripped, God is able to push his power in and do things that we cannot do on our own. As, uh, as all uh, confidence in human or, or earthly gifting or talent erodes, as our resilience wanes and even our looks fade, God is able to build a monument from the ruins within our soul. And he is able to breathe his power into our breathless lungs. In the wilderness, God fills us with power. And the other thing in the wilderness is that God whispers. He whispers in the wilderness. We live in a time where every section of society right now is screaming for attention. Uh, every discussion point, uh, the noise is just overwhelming. And it's in this time that we need the whispers of God even more than ever before. Uh, the wilderness is intrinsically interwoven within the spiritual narrative of God speaking to his people. Like it was for the Israelites, like it was for Abraham, for Joseph, for Moses, Elijah, David, Jesus, for us. God speaks and whispers to his people when they are at breaking point. And if we look, uh, say, at the, the Israelites, uh, throughout the Bible, they are sort of um, almost likened to being an adulteress. They are a people who continually uh, reject the presence of God 
for earthly treasures. They trade God's intimacy for the cheap things of this earth. And we read that God does not reject his people. God does not cast them off. But actually, uh, there's a beautiful phrase uh, that God speaks to the prophet Hosea. And in Hosea 2, he says, Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Even in the midst of pain, God at some point chooses to draw near and whisper. And in those quiet words, he redeems and restores. This, uh, this theme of the, the wilderness is uh, quite an, an emotive uh, one for me because in many ways I feel like I've been walking through my own wasteland for the last uh, several years. Some of you might know that uh, I've spent quite a lot of time being a singer and a songwriter, and within that there's been a number of highs and lows. There's been some moments where uh, things have looked phenomenally exciting and some moments where things have looked a little bit uh, bleak. And a couple of years ago, I'd had a few sort of deals sort of come and go, and I'd just signed uh, a big deal with a company in L.A., and it was looking incredibly exciting. I was going to be on the same roster as a number of huge artists that I, I love. Uh, Jay-Z was going to be the, the head of the company. So naturally, I was thinking that in time, Jay-Z and Beyonce and myself would be best buds. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? And um, I was flying over to LA for, to have my first meeting. And at a similar time, uh, a number of friends and near me were having some really striking and poignant prophetic words. And it was all leading and looking like this was a moment of incredible breakthrough. And I arrived in LA honestly thinking that this would be like my, my victory lap, you know, sort of thing. And as I arrived, I found out um, almost immediately that the company had pretty much dissolved overnight. And everything I'd worked towards uh, just went up in smoke. And it was brutal. And I, uh, I'd been through seasons of uh, waiting before, of disappointment before. But this was death. The promise died. And the black cloud came upon me. And I remember I was on uh, Venice Beach after one of these meetings just finding out. And I was looking out to the waves. And I was thinking, God, where could you possibly be? I flew home, and uh, my wife, uh, Beck and I, we were sort of logistically trying to work out how, how we deal with life in this next uh, stint. And we had uh, two boys uh, at that stage. And we worked out that the, uh, it made best sense for me to become the primary carer for our boys, which I think was frightening for all involved, because I'm um, having no experience with children whatsoever. Um, and so I, I began to live this sort of different life. And it just so happened that... Um, my first week in this transition was a uh, uh, potty training week. And so very quickly, the, uh, the promise and hope of fame and glory was eroded uh, for the aroma of nappies. And, and so I began potty training week, week one. And uh, it was with my eldest son, Phoenix. And I love that boy. He's good at so many things. He's brilliant. But going to the toilet was not one of them. And so what we would do is we'd go out to the park and I'd have our other son, Rocco, on my uh, sling thing, one of those things on your, on your front. And Phoenix would basically just decimate entire outfits every 20 minutes. 
And so uh, we, we'd be there. I'd have to take him to like a public toilet and I'd hover over him trying to balance Rocco, you know, just changing wave after wave of um, superhero pants. And, and honestly, like Batman was getting rained upon. <laughs> and I'd just change him, throw an outfit into the bin, put another one on, take him back out. He would nonchalantly go on playing without a care in the world. And 20 minutes later, he would just smash through another one and we'd be back through. And honestly, it broke me. It's like you do not know how little you matter until you've been on all fours on a freezing public toilet. <laughs> and so uh, I continued uh, to live this slightly isolated uh, life uh, with, with my boys. And um, then the pandemic hit. And for all of us, uh, it hit us differently, and, and we approached it differently. Uh, but for me, when, it, when it, we began this, this new season, my honest feeling was like, I'm going to die. I said to God, you have stripped everything from me. It's like death is all that there is left. But in that moment of such vulnerability, something amazing started to happen. Is that in this season, which was very scary for many, God was really protecting and blessing us. And we were seeing God's provision in amazing ways. And um, I felt like, you know, little seeds of hope beginning to grow. And for, for this sort of um, season that I'd been in before, this, this uh, sort of fairly dark period, I'd have this reoccurring dream. And it was, uh, I'd be in this wilderness, uh, in this desert, and I'd be chasing after God. I'd be sprinting, and I could never find. And um, I... In the summer, so this is summer 2020, uh, we're on a, a summer holiday. We're driving to Cornwall, and the rest of the guys were asleep in the car. And I was driving as the sun was setting. I felt I had this vision. And um, in my dream, it's this same desert scene, but only this time um, I wasn't running. But I saw this uh, well. And in the well, I drew down expecting to find water. Um, but as I pulled up, it wasn't water. It was this sign that said, God's goodness. And in the wilderness, the most unlikely of places, I discovered God's goodness and kindness. And, um, sorry, it's like my worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh, that was good. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, but I found God's goodness. Like, I'd never doubted his existence. I'd never doubted his power. But I'd struggled to believe his goodness. And right now, my life continues to look quite uncertain. But I feel like God is speaking to me, and his quiet whispers are transforming my soul. And what is dead is coming back to life. And this is it. The wilderness that we go through is hard, it's brutal, but God meets us there. And in the wilderness, he speaks. So to end, what next? What comes after the wilderness? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to sort of rattle off some sort of scientific stats or talk about variants or anything like that because uh, that'd just be wildly embarrassing. Um, but I do want to answer this question that T.S. Eliot poses. You know, what good could grow from this? What branches grow from this stony rubbish? And um, I believe that the answer is found in Isaiah 35. A, uh, a number of weeks ago, quite a long time before I was actually asked to um, preach here, I felt God uh, lay this passage and a word on my heart 
for this church. And so, and honestly, everything up to this point has been guff just to get to this moment. So, like, this is, this is the important bit. You know, forget everything else. But what comes after the wilderness? And I just want to read Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And when I felt God give that to me, I felt that God was speaking to us as a community, but for some of you here who need to know that this desert that you've been walking through, this brutal terrain, the blossom is going to grow. But here's the greater thing, is that blossom is beautiful. It's awesome, isn't it? It's fantastic. But it's actually temporary. Blossom is like a catalyst for a changing season. It comes for a few weeks, and then the season moves into spring and into summer. I believe that as a church, we are seeing the first signs of blossom. I think this building is a sign of blossom. But here's the beautiful news. There's more, and we read there's more. It's not just blossom that comes, but there's a river. And the river is permanent. I think the temporary blossom will come, and it'll be amazing, and it'll be beautiful. But from that, God's rain will come and there will be a river. And the desert land that was so hard will be transformed. Where there was only death and decay and suffering, a river will run through it. And in the heart of King's cross, Christ's cross, will redeem the broken land. And Jesus, in this moment, wherever you find yourself in, will restore your broken soul.